Hello there and welcome to this final episode for the year of the Game Podger Unfocused Podcast. I'm your host Scott and with me as always throughout the year has been Hilka. Hello Hilka, how are you today? I'm good. Your intro is going to be extremely funny if we don't gonna manage to get this out uh, before the end of the year. <laughs> I am going to be trying to um, get this um, edited out and sent out as close as I can, but... Um, yeah, we'll we'll see how we how we go with this. Ah, so yeah. Speaking of which, yes, we, it has been. Um, we have just had the fun holiday times. Uh, how has that been for you? It's great. Uh, I mean, I talked about this on N Focus as well because I am Dutch. I had my fun holiday times weeks ago. Because uh, we don't. I mean, we kind of celebrate Christmas here nowadays, but we have a thing called Sinterklaas saint nicholas uh the inspiration for santa claus uh and that generally gets celebrated around december 5th uh so that's where we do like the the presents and um chocolate letters love me a chocolate letter (laughs) and uh yeah so that's like you can see in the name uh saint nicholas sinterklaas santa claus you can see how that would have turned into Santa Claus. Um, it is one one of the many inspirations for the jolly old elf we now know. <laughs> but yeah, I I had that a couple weeks ago. It was a lot of fun. Of course, we uh, it, it's sort of a tradition in the Netherlands as well to write a poem to go along with your gift. Okay, and those are always simultaneously my favorite and least favorite part because i love reading the poems but i'm not a very good poet so writing them is always quite challenging (laughs) but it is worth the effort because it's very fun how about you how did your uh i assume you did christmas yes we did although not not as um full-on interesting as uh, what you you've had um, we pretty much, because of sort of, uh, organizing, trying to get everyone together, sort of had, um, sort of two Christmas dinners and then we sort of had the main, um, sort of Christmas day, just spending a time with the uncles, uh, on Christmas day. Um, but no, just your standard, um, standard Christmas, um, you know, unpredictable weather here in well in here in um Queensland and New South Wales. Um there's been a lot of flash flooding. Um unfortunate. Um just it is the weather is just very unpredictable at the moment. You get it gets stinking hot and then you saw it late at night it just it can just pour down rain and thunderstorms. You know, trees have just been cut down everywhere. Jeez. Like they're they're getting like snapped in half because of the wind. Like, yeah, yeah, it's getting it's getting very very windy. We we had a storm like that. I think last year. I remember a friend of mine posted a video to Twitter of like a tree out uh, pretty close to where he lives. Just you could see the roots starting to bulge out from beneath the pavement. Like the pavement oh. was moving. That was. <laughs> wild yes oh dear 
Uh, so there's um yeah, it's not currently raining at the moment. Uh, although they've always it it's always um suspected that there's going to be hail. We haven't had hail yet, thank goodness. But we're just um hopefully it does not come. So when it does hail over there, do you get it in like like because we get hail here not regularly but occasionally and it's like the size of like a a small pill you know but do you get oh. like really big hailstones we can't we can do depending depending on the season um it's not very often like sometimes it may take a couple of years to happen it's just unpredictable it could just be a little one so little pills it could be the size of golf balls jeez yeah you just don't know but hopefully yeah we won't um there won't be any hail this summer add that to the long list of things that might kill you in australia hailstones the size of golf balls ah yeah okay so um Let's get on with um, what we've been playing throughout the month. Alrighty, so um, yes, as we have a discussion, you know, we just had our Christmas period. Uh, I've um, I've snuck a couple of um, goodies. Uh, first one I bought for myself. The other one I got as my Secret Santa Christmas present. Uh, the first one I got is a Nitro deck. This is a sort of a, not a Switch dock, because it doesn't connect, it won't connect to the TV, but it's sort of like a Switch cradle that you plop your Switch into and it connects it via the USB-C port. Uh, it's been teased for a while. It's actually, um, I was able to get this at retail. Surprisingly, because yes, yeah, so normally those sort of things you have to usually order on Amazon. Um, and um, no, so I was able to get it. I saw it at the JB Hi-Fi. So I picked one up. They had they had two versions. They have your standard uh, like either black or white variant, uh, or they have a um, or they have a sort of a special edition. And the one they had there is the one. It's a purple one with a sort of a purple one with GameCube style coloring. Ooh, I love those. I, I my uh Nintendo 3D my new Nintendo 3DS. I got the white one with like the different color face buttons that's supposed to be like Oh, yes. Uh, Super the, Nintendo? Yeah, that one. The X yeah. is blue, the Y is green, the A is red and the B is yellow. Oh, I tell you what, I because I had to sell some stuff, and I've got a a new 2ds, but I originally did have a new 3ds XL, and I wish because I was there, sort of downstairs, and I wish I didn't trade. I, th- I think I sold that off. I wish I didn't because the 2ds is nice, but I'm one of those weirdos who actually enjoyed the 3D. But I could actually use it. Yeah, my 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 eyes never really like play well with 3D of any kind cuz my eyes are a weird situation that I have to wear kind of specific glasses for. But so I've 
rarely enjoyed a 3D movie in theaters because I always have to wear the 3D glasses over my regular glasses. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, yeah, with the 3D movies, I try to, I try to avoid um, 3D movies. Um, God, I can't remember the last time. Actually, oh, that's right. It was Avatar. And I didn't realize at the time that I was 3D. The last Avatar movie. Oh, um, the the Way of Water? Yeah. Hmm. So that 3D movie that length, I would not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like the... I, I never had a 2DS. My brother did. But the, one of the main things I liked about the 3DS and by extension the DS is the clamshell design, you know? It, because it closes up, you can protect your screen and still have it in your pocket. And the 2DS just didn't have that. Well, this, yeah, the, the one I've got is the new the new 2DS XL. Oh, so that one, gotcha. Yeah, so that was the last one that actually did release. So it, it does have the clamshell design. Uh, but because it doesn't have a 3D screen, the actual like top part, the top screen, is actually not flimsy, but it's very light. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Hmm. But anyway, um, yeah. So this Nitro deck, um, yes, they thought, yeah, released in retail. Um, I was sort of excited for this because it's sort of, because yeah, the, the, yeah, me with the Joy Cons are just a bit too small. The button placement um, is a bit off. Uh, I've had, I've been rocking the um, the Hori Split Pad Compact. Um, this is the one because I originally had the Hori Split Pad Pro, which sort of like makes it like a, a pro control. And the, the, the compact um, sort of slims that down a bit, uh, makes it a bit tighter. Um, generally good, uh, great for shooters. Uh, but the problem, the biggest problem I had with that is that it didn't have, it, it doesn't have any rumble, which I'm okay, fair enough. I don't really need rumble, but didn't have any gyro. So if you if you want to play something like Splatoon, you know which you does use the gyro really well, uh, it's a bit difficult to do. Yeah, it's just it just can't do it. So I I got this and then I'm thinking, oh great, this will be um great to be able to use that. You know, cause it's got um, you know, it's got big buttons. Um, it's got four back buttons. Um, more so I'm more so uh, I just prefer the one back button on each side, so two back buttons. Um. But looking at this, um, when I finally got it, um, it somewhat does feel nice, but it's still got the same problem with the button placement where it's not off-axis. So you sort of got the face button on the right-hand side and you've got the the joystick directly underneath it. So you still got the, sort of that problem. So you still have to angle your hand a bit weird. Um, oh, can get I a get bit it. annoying. Yeah. 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 Uh, but the biggest problem, because this is the one of the ones that has the newest um, Hall Effect um, joystick technology, which um, because it uses ma- magnets, uh, it just it it takes a lot longer to experience any stick drift. Um, which I've actually never had. I've only ever had it once. It was on the worst way. It was on my Switch Lite. Oh. That so, sucks. Yeah, so it wasn't so it wasn't something I could just easily replace. I had to get the whole thing replaced. Um but the problem I found with this, it wasn't the joystick just it felt laggy. 
I don't know how it's it's a weird way to explain it, but it just felt like it just it wasn't tight. Like controlling like if I'm playing something like Mario Odyssey or a first person shooter, I just it just felt that little bit of delay. Like the buttons themselves the face buttons and the D pad, they felt fine. But the analog sticks, I don't know, I just didn't really it just felt like really really laggy. Like not super laggy, but you could just really I just felt like you could really notice it. So I haven't actually been using that. Um, so I've just resorted back to the actual uh, Hori Stick Pack Compact. So do you, considering it is a different type of joystick that's in there, um, I, I did scroll through the website a little bit right before we started recording. Do you think it's maybe just because of the technology they're using to stop the drift that you have to move it slightly further for it to actually register that you're moving it, that they've created more of a dead zone. Yes. That's what I initially, that's what I thought because I'm thinking, okay, it's a, okay. It's just a new stick technology. You sort of, um, there's a new way of thinking about it. Yeah. Bigger de- dead zone. But then I actually got a, um, I want, that's what I want to get into the second thing with the one I got for my secret center, which is the eight bit dough ultimate controller. Now, this I absolutely love because this is an, um, this one is just your standard um, pro controller. Um, you hook up to your Switch. It hooks up to your Switch and you can also hook up to any sort of PC Android device. The way it works is pr- it's pretty interesting. You can sort of, uh, it's got sort of two technologies it's got um, Bluetooth uh, for your Switch and then 2.4 gigahertz. For your um, for your wireless for your, your PC, and when I say PC, it also includes Steam Deck. Now the way it connects it up, it, it connects it up as that as you probably looking at on the website. It's actually got a charging dock. Now what's interesting is that the charging stock is actually got the dongle inside of it. So what you do, you hook up the charge the the charging dock to say like the way I've got it set up. I've got the charging dock hooked up to my um sort of my Steam Deck dock and that way then um it'll automatically when i there's a switch on the back to switch it from bluetooth to 2.4 gigahertz and so when i switch it to 2.4 gigahertz it's connected up via basically pc mode that's cool so it's only once yeah that's that's a, it's not just some silly dongle like it is actually a silly dongle that it basically is sticking out but what they've done is that they put the dongle, which you can be removed, inside the actual charging dock. So you just plug it, in, plug it in, and then yeah, you know, you're just using it for charging it anyway. May as well use it. It's basically like a pass-through USB port as well. That's very really smart. clever. I, I really like That's, that. Yeah. And uh, this controller, I absolutely love. The buttons feel fantastic. They feel tight, responsive. Uh, the D-pad is really good because, you know, with the Switch Pro Controller, it's sort of the D-pad's a bit off because it's always pushing diagonals. Uh, I haven't noticed that with this um, controller. It's also got some um, back buttons as well. It's just it's only got one on each side, so no four back buttons, but that's I actually do prefer. And it's really good. The back buttons, they don't feel like something you can... It's just easy to get on, just easy to click in, but it's not something you just you will just accidentally click, which is always good. So 
what what function do the back buttons do? Is it like an alternate way to do like the bumpers and the triggers, or can you map them to whatever you want? Like what what's the thing there? So what you can do, you can hook up your you can actually hook up the controller to your smartphone uh, and connect it up to an app. Now this could be done via um, Bluetooth, or you can actually connect it up via uh, via a, a standard USB C cable, which I do with my phone. And with this, you can actually remap any buttons you want to anything you want. You've got sort of um, you got multiple profiles that you can you can select with one of the buttons. Um, so you can just you can basically have it off, and every button functions the same. Or you can set different profiles. So what I've got now, I've got my first profile. I've got that that the right back button is set to B button, so that's always sort of like your jump button. And then I usually, um, depending on the game, you know, I have the left button, you know. Usually, like the duck, the duck option in a game. Mm. Uh, but you can you can control this via the smartphone app, so you don't have to actually go. There's no like um because sort of like I've also got the Xbox Elite controller, which also um has back buttons, but you have to do that through the actual Xbox itself, uh, which is fine. Uh, but if I want to say I've been using that with the Steam Deck as well, and so if I want to change any of the buttons, I have to go. I have to disconnect it from the Steam Deck, connect it up to the Xbox, change the profile, then connect it back up to the Steam Deck. Ugh. Whereas with this, yeah, whereas this, it's just basically, it's just another, it's just a smartphone app that I've just um, connected up. Um, but yeah, uh, now one of the things with these control wireless controllers for the Switch, uh, which I thought this one would, ha- would have as well, is that you can't actually like use it to turn on the switch. Um, so you have to manually go in and push the button, like turn on the switch on the actual switch itself. But with this one, they actually, it's a weird way to do it. But what you actually do, you're actually holding the butt, the sort of the home button to so get the powering process started. And then you shake the controller. And for some reason that will initiate to turn on the switch. That is weird. That is very weird. Uh, it may be just a way. There's a way they had to basically work around it. Uh, maybe there's a like a pattern that they can't do for official Nintendo controllers. They're the only ones that can officially turn it on. Um, but no, you can actually um, you can do this, and uh, yeah, basically you can turn it on that way. Then the only thing this button, this controller is missing. So it's also got the gyros real well. So the only thing this controller is missing, apart from compared to a Nintendo Switch Pro controller is the NFC function, which I'll be honest, like I've got a million Amiibo. I have not, I cannot remember the last time I've officially used that. So I've still got a Switch Pro controller. So if I ever do need to, I can still use that. But for most of my gaming, if, I, if I'm docked on, if I'm playing Switch docked, I'll be using this. Yeah, it sounds really good. It's just so perfect to be able to use this to, to play on the Switch and then switch a button and play it on the Steam Deck. That's very cool. Mm. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, that's my experiences with these controls. The Epic Dude Ultimate, um, I would recommend. Uh, the Nitro Deck, um, I, yeah, I probably wouldn't recommend. But speaking of um, playing games with um, sort of different style controls, uh, you've been playing, you've been continuing on with your adventures of Boulder Gate 3, but 
on the P- on an actual PC. How's that going for you? Yeah. So uh, longer time listeners of this podcast will note that I've talked about Baldur's Gate 3 before. Um, and previously I'd only played it on Steam Deck because my computer didn't have a an SSD that was big enough to run it is, is the short version. Uh, I have since significantly upgraded my PC. Uh, like most of the parts have been replaced. New motherboard, better RAM, way more storage, new processor, new graphics card. Been saving up for that for a while. And so I started playing Baldur's Gate 3 on PC with mouse and keyboard input. Now, I'm basically always a controller guy. I love a controller. It means I don't have to, like, hunch over to use a keyboard and mouse. I I even like using them for shooters, which is one of many reasons I'll never be a professional Counter-Strike player. Yep, I'm the same. I'm the same. I always prefer, I always prefer controller. Um, but I cannot stress enough how much better Baldur's Gate Three is with mouse and keyboard on a bigger screen where you can read everything. Like on Steam Deck, it's fine, but more often than not, especially after I played the game for a couple hours. I would find myself struggling with the camera a little bit or with like precise placement of where I wanted to go or I found the interface a little annoying. With mouse and keyboard, it's like night and day. Everything is so much faster to access because of keyboard shortcuts. You have so much more precision with the mouse. The interface makes way more sense. You don't have to mess with radial menus. It's so good. And also the... You know, even my, like, normal 1080p monitor has so much better fidelity than the Steam Deck's one. I forget what the default Steam Deck resolution is. Uh, 1200 by 800. Oh, sorry, 1280 by 800. Yeah. And so there's so many like more details in the environments and the character models that I can see. Like, okay, what I'm about to say is like a very minor spoiler, but if you've existed in the space of wanting to play Baldur's Gate 3 long and this long and you don't know this by now, uh, good for you. Well done, because this is very early on in the game. Um, so Asterion is a vampire. And when I was playing on, uh, it's like one of the first things you learn about him. Um, and when I was playing on Steam Deck, it actually came like a, as a little bit of a surprise to me. But then I started a new file because I wanted to do a bunch of the stuff that I missed. Um, and when you meet Asterion and you're just looking at it on, you know, good graphic settings on a 1080p monitor, the bite marks on his neck really stand out. <laughs> which made the uh, dialogue option of when he tells you that he's a vampire. Um, there's a dialogue option that says, well, yeah, obviously. Uh, and that one made a lot more sense this time around. Uh, but yeah, it's such a 
great game visually. I, I, I get to play it on, I'm, I'm pretty sure, as close to max settings as I can. Like, I can't do ray tracing because I have an AMD card. Uh, but everything else is as maxed out as it can be, except for motion blur. I hate motion blur. Always turn it off. Uh, and it's gorgeous. It's so pretty. And the, the precision that you get from mouse and keyboard controls here is actually a lot more important than it sounds because positioning is so important in Baldur's Gate 3 with like the the like half a meter distance is the is that can be the difference between can I fire my short bow or not or will I be high up enough to get advantage on my attack roll you know little things like that that can make combat just a lot less of a headache for you and I can't count the times i've like meant to interact with something in the environment but picked up something else instead or accidentally talked to one of the npcs but with mouse and keyboard you can just click on exactly what you want and that's not a problem like i i've had to reload a couple uh quick saves uh when i meant to read a sign but accidentally picked up someone's stuff and they yelled at me for it because I technically stole from them even though I didn't mean to. And with mouse and keyboard, that's just not a problem at all. So yeah, if if you are able, I highly recommend playing Baldur's Gate 3 on PC. It is available on both PS5 and Xbox Series X specifically nowadays. And but I think PC is the best um experience you can get with this game. Hmm. I wonder if on the PlayStation or Xbox you can play it with keyboard and mouse. It's I, I don't know. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Xbox can do it, but I don't know if there is a way, is there a way to connect a keyboard and mouse to the PlayStation 5? I think so. I mean, you've got like um the Final Fantasy, is it Final Fantasy 12? The online Final Fantasy? 14. 14, sorry. I think 12 was the original. No, it was the Final Fantasy 11 that was thinking of the one for the like the players I should do no I think that yeah the latest um MMO Final Fantasy MMO I think you can play that with a keyboard and mouse on a PS5 so it is theoretically possible then um that would be pretty cool getting to play it on like your big TV but with keyboard and mouse yeah I mean even the switch does um keyboard and mouse like the quake ports um they do um keyboard and mouse Cool. Like I, totally... I actually didn't know that. Mm, yeah, you can. Yeah, we, you can just if you can get your uh, switch um like propped up to have the um, USB port, port exposed, you can put a dock in there, put a cup, put um, keyboard and mouse, and away you go. Like it's not um, it's not universal for every game, um, but uh, the keyboard keyboard if you anytime you have to type with a, like the switch keyboard, um, you can use the standard keyboard. It'll accept that. 
Um, and yeah, like the, I know with the Quake games, um, because I think that Night Dive Studio did those. Um, yeah, they they but they fully do keyboard and mouse. That's that's extremely cool. I I, I didn't even yeah. know that was possible on the Switch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's um. There was another game, um, I think Night Dive, so Strife. That's an old um, sort of two, 2.5D Doom-style RPG sort of game. Um, it does keyboard, but it doesn't do mouse, which is really weird. It, it actually, no, it does mouse in the menu, but it doesn't do it in-game. So you have to have, like, one hand on the WASD keys and the other hand on, like, the right Joy-Con, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think actually, I think even Doom, the Doom ports, the classic Doom ports, they do keyboard as well, not mouse, but keyboard. It's weird. Some of the games that, yeah. There's yeah, it's just a weird. Uh, there's a YouTuber. I think even you've talked about him as well. Uh, Stop skeletons from fighting. Yes, yes. I love the videos he does where. He plays games on the really weird controllers. Like he he played a bunch of not skateboarding games with the Tony Hawk ride board. And he played a bunch of game he did a video where he played a bunch of games with the the Resident Evil chainsaw controller. Oh, those are so much fun. It it is very cool to see that there is an amount of stuff you can do with that. Oh, he also with the the PlayStation mouse, I think it was, or like the Nintendo 64 mouse. He tried using that for a bunch of not that console games. He's very creative in that sense. And, and it does take a bit of finagling, obviously, but it is very cool to see how many things you can do with weird controllers. I remember way back, like 10 years ago, I remember reading a news story of someone who beat Dark Souls with the Donkey Konga, like, bongo drum controllers. <laughs> oh, yeah. When it comes to Dark Souls, people are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's also someone who used a DDR pad to beat Dark Souls. Would not surprise me. I'm I'm not a Souls-like fan. I've, I've played a couple of them, not for super long. I've played Dark Souls, Prepare to Die Edition, Bloodborne, and Elden Ring. Never really got into them, but wow. I, I'm not the kind of person who thinks making things even harder on yourself than they already are is... A fun way to play video games. I've only ever beaten. Yeah, I'm not much of a Soulsborne player. I've only ever beaten first Dark Souls on Switch. Uh, and the way, funny story. There was a um. There's a. I originally did it on the 360, and there's a one boss. This I think it's the second main big boss. Um. That you get up and they're like sort of like on the tower and you sort of uh you, the way you're supposed to do it, you're supposed to run up to one side sort of dodge your attack run up to the other side climb up the ladder and then slam down on them and oh I just yeah, could the, not, yeah the minotaur yeah and i could not get past another 360 i thought okay i'll try it 
I, I left it alone for a couple of years and I thought, okay, I'll get it on Switch, see how I go. I'm thinking it's probably going to be, um, it's probably going to be, um, same situation again. But I ended up being the boss because they fell off the, the, the ledge. I've seen that happen. Yeah, it's very funny. And, and yeah, and I ended up um, playing through the game. Um, and what I ended up doing was once I finished the game, because I understood sort of how the Souls game works, I actually started a new save, went back up and defeated that boss properly. I thought, okay, I've finished it properly. Now I can sort of give it a rest. Yeah. I I I, I played Bloodborne on PS4 because that's the only way to play it. Uh, I guess you could play it on PS5 these days in like a backwards compatibility thing. But the point is, like, I did I did beat the cleric beast like on my first try. And as someone who is very very unfamiliar with Souls games at the time, I, I'll, I'll take that. I just I could never quite grasp the parry system in Bloodborne with the gun, so I never got further than Father Gascoigne, which is like the boss that you have to be good at that or you're not gonna win. Yes. Same here. But yeah, uh to to, to get back on track a little bit. Uh but yeah, um Baldur's Gate 3, it's I mean, it's still just a phenomenal game, and it deserves all the critical acclaim it, it's gotten. I like I've played it for about forty hours now, across a number of save files, and I still haven't gotten out of Act One. Yeah, like I'm I'm in the Underdark, uh, in my both my solo playthrough and my co-op playthrough I'm doing with a friend, and it's. I think the thing, one of the things I like about it most is how interesting and involved all of the side quests are. Because in a lot of other RPGs, a lot of these kinds of side quests are, oh, go kill 10 rats, or I need you to deliver this from me to that person. Uh, and I don't know, there's... There's more steps involved in most of the Baldur's Gate 3 side quests, but the steps aren't, they don't feel like they're wasting my time. They are genuinely all quite fun and interesting. Because uh, a side quest I did recently is in the Underdark, there's a um, merchant and her husband went off to pick mushrooms. And so you have to you, you know more or less where he is. There's like an area on the map that he could be. So you look around there for a while and he's in like a big field of mushrooms that if you move too much, they will explode and you will die. So you have to use the, the sort of default way to solve this is you use the misty step spell, which is sort of a short range teleport. And you're kind of, you kind of have to use Misty Step to get over there, but there's a backpack next to him that has a scroll of Misty Step you can use to get back. Uh, and like that that's one of the, the smallest and shortest side quests I've experienced, but there is just like a little bit more pepper on the salad than just, ah, I found him, time to come home. And, and that's something I really appreciate. That's the kind of interesting design and just the care that went into creating it that 
makes this game one of the best I've ever played, and I haven't even played most of it yet. <laughs> Would you say it's better than Mario Wonder? Here's the thing, right? I, I haven't finished Mario Wonder yet. Um, but I do... I do find Baldur's Gate 3 a lot more straightforward to play because what Mario Wonder's real strength is for me is the huge amount of creativity within each individual level. Uh, but what... I sort of struggle with and why I haven't finished it yet is me personally, I find it very challenging to switch from the gimmick of one level to the gimmick of the next level, like mentally. And so that, that I I do have to sort of, it's kind of hard to explain, but I have to kind of forget that the last level happened in order to not try to play the next level like the previous one you know because because the wonder seeds all have wildly differing effects and there's so many different types of enemies a lot of which just rarely if ever get reused and i find it hard in mario wonder to really get into a groove and so it is very fun, but I kind of have to play it in short bursts. Whereas with Baldur's Gate 3, it is legitimately the kind of game where you start playing it and then you're like, oh yeah, it's like 7.30, I've had dinner. Don't have much going on for the rest of the evening. I'll play some Baldur's Gate 3. Oh no, it's midnight. It's just an easy flow to get into. Yeah, and, and the world is so well-developed with so much detail, both in the visual design and the writing and all the little interactables and stuff that it is a very easy world to get lost in, especially for someone like me who is quite familiar with the world of Dungeons and Dragons as someone who's been playing the game for 10 years. I mean, I guess it's this is specifically the Forgotten Realms and I started with 3.5, which is technically in Greyhawk, I know. Um... Don't don't at me. So technically, I've I've only been familiar with the Forgotten Realms for like eight years, probably. Like I think twenty sixteen ish is when I started playing Fifth Edition. But yeah, it it is very cool to see how similarly to the movie to Honor Among Thieves, how well realized and how recognizable all of the stuff in this game is uh, a particular favorite example of mine is very early on. There's a harpy nest and they're trying to like capture a child and eat him. And so you fight the harpies and you kill them and the child goes back to the Druid Grove with the rest of the children and you get a little reward for saving him. But if you poke around in that area a little bit, you find a letter uh, that's like a, a little bit of a journal from someone who went to Chult, which is an island in the Forgotten Realms that I would describe as a mix between like Australia and Madagascar uh, in terms of it being a giant jungle where everything wants to kill you. And it's just a little snippet 
of someone's travel through Chalt and their guide Musharib and this weird like undead with blue triangles on their foreheads and those those of you who are familiar with 5th edition will be recognizing this this is the campaign Tomb of Annihilation this is just Tomb of Annihilation one of the guides in that campaign is Musharib fun fact I've run that adventure in its entirety once and I'm running it again for a different group they both picked Musharib as their guide which was very fun uh, considering there's like 12 options but yeah it it's very cool and like one of the alcohol varieties you see in the game pretty early on is Chulton Fire Swill, which it probably should have been Tedge, you know, the like Chulton Mead, but you know, splitting hairs there. But it it is just very cool to see, like, you interact with the, with the the Zentarim Zentarim the Black Network, and they're like assassins and spies and just i love existing in that world especially just because i have so much familiarity with it but yeah play it on pc it's the best way to play it in my opinion and if you only got a steam date you can just hook up a uh, keyboard and mouse to it (laughs) nice so the next game, sort of the next game I've sort of been playing, um, have beaten is uh, been continuing with the Metal Gear Solid Collection. Uh, I've beaten, I think last time we spoke, I've beaten Metal Gear Solid Two. So naturally, went into Metal Gear Solid Three. Um, been a while since I've honestly played this one, but yeah, it's honestly the out of out of the tr- the trilogy. Uh, it is the best one. It's the one where they realize the sort of the 3D camera control movement rather than the whole sort of two top-down shooter that was run for the original MXS NES versions. Um, just, <laughs> true. just so much easier to get into. Um, set basically, basically during, during the height of the Cold War. Um, the t- <laughs> it's funny, you know, Growing up younger, I thought you you thought, oh, this is this the story is so deep, all these interesting elements, and now you just <laughs> reading like trying to listen to it. It's like it is cheesy as hell. <sighs> just um, just a dot, yeah, yeah. It's like a it's like a James Bond movie, you know. When you're when you're growing up, James Bond is like, oh, the stakes are so high, and this villain is diabolical. And then you watch a James Bond movie when you're like 25 and you're like, now keep in mind, I'm talking about like the like pre Daniel Craig, James Bond movies here. Uh, like, uh, but God watching like Goldeneye, you know, one of the best ones in my opinion. I don't think that's a particularly hot take. Uh, and you're like, Oh, who would ever build something like this? Like realistically speaking, but you know the the best part about that is it doesn't matter as long as it makes sense in the movie, and that's the same thing with Metal Gear Solid. Is you know you got Colonel Vulgan who's got lightning powers, you've got what's his face the the firebug, 
firebug. The, the, the oh, guy with the, the flamethrower um, and the gas mask. Oh, oh, the um, the fury. Yeah, is that the or, one that? Oh, is that the yeah the one that 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 that, that was originally an astronaut? I think so. Yeah, you fight him yeah. in like a place with a lot of pillars. Yes, trying to avoid it, trying to avoid his fire. Yes, that that is a fury. Oh, that is a um, oh, that's a, that's interesting. I'm trying to making sure you had the night vision goggles to, to make sure you can actually see him, but taking uh, it off fast he, enough so you don't get completely blinded by the fire. Exactly. Uh, I, I struggle. I struggled with that one a few times. Um. Because the way you play, the way I've been playing it is sort of um, trying to tranquilize every enemy rather than um, kill every enemy. Because when you do, especially with the bosses, you get their camouflage, their unique camouflage. Um, this is interesting the way the sort of the bosses work. You um, like you've got um, the fear. You know they've got um, they've got invisible camouflage, so you have to put on the thermal goggles to be able to see them. And with that, it's just easy to take down. Um, the, the best one is the end. The one, the older guy, um, the sniper, the sniper, the The one where if you put the game down for a couple days, he literally dies of old age. Yep. And if you, um, if you shoot them with the sniper rifle before they get back into the building beforehand, um, you kill them, they explode. Um, when you first sort of see him officially, um, and then there's a, and then in that section where he is, um, they're just, um, there's a bunch of like space nails guys. Um, and then, ah, oh, no, but it's just, it's just a wacky, it's honestly, it's just a wacky, wacky, it's just a wacky game, wacky dialogue, um, wacky story. Um, but yeah, I, um, I don't know. I don't know if they, because there's going to be that Metal Gear Delta that's coming. I, I think it's coming out this year. And by this year, uh, but, I assume you mean 2024, because yes, I yes, don't think I'm, it's coming I'm, I'm, out I'm, I'm, today or tomorrow. Uh, oh, well, well you, <laughs> you never know. You know, you, you, Konami might just pull a, pull a fast one and say, here you go, release early. No, sorry. Yes, next year. I'm, 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 just, I'm just anticipating. Sorry. <laughs> you, you've already um, left 2023 behind in your mind. Yes. Oh, goodness, yes. Um, because it depends on what they do. I don't think it's gonna be like visually. It's gonna be a massive upgrade, but I don't know if it's gonna be. If it's gonna be like a whole um like Resident Evil remake scenario, but we'll see how it is. We'll see how the review reviews are and might maybe pick that up. Yeah, it's it's curious because like I love Metal Gear Solid Three. I've played it a number of times. I just I have no faith in Konami anymore. So if Delta is def like I- I'm not in the habit of pre-ordering games anyway, but Delta is like a wait and see. Depending on the reviews, maybe pick it up a couple weeks later after they've patched it a couple times. Exactly. Okay, I, the only games I ever do pre-order be Nintendo ones. I like the only no I'm contemplating um pre-ordering with the Paper Mario, but I know that's going to be good. So anything else, I'd just be wary of. Uh, for those who are curious, Metal Gear Delta has it was announced in May of 2023, but it has no scheduled release date. Oh, okay. 
So we 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 don't know. Okay, so probably not until like 2026 or something. <laughs> or 2025, like my beloved Monster Hunter Wilds. Hmm. And speaking of, um, yes, going into Monster Hunter Wilds, you've also played some Monster Hunter World. How's that going for you? I, I have. It's been fantastic. It is one of my favorite games of all time. It, it is genuinely in my top 10. And so, I don't know if you heard, but there's this thing called the Game Awards. And they're awful and terrible, and they're barely awards shows. Yep, gotta wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. 50 seconds for acceptance speeches. What the hell are you thinking? This is something we've talked about on End Focus as well. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I think it is genuinely one of our best ones. Uh, but yeah, so the the only thing I really cared about was the teaser for Monster Hunter Wilds. All we know is it's coming out in 2025, um, and you ride some sort of lizard. Big fan of lizards. Uh, so I'm excited. And it's coming out for PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, and PC. And both in the visual style and the platforms it's coming out on, and also the fact that after it was announced, Cap the Mon- Monster Hunter developers started doing a weekly Monster Hunter World stream, like starting from the beginning, hashtag return to world. I get the feeling that this game is going to be a lot more like World than it is like Rise. So I was like, you know, I'm really jonesing for some more Monster Hunter because I've, you know, I finished Rise. And so I was like, I'm going to start a new save in World. New weapon, new character, starting from the beginning. No defender gear because I like, you know, putting together whatever you can find instead of just rushing through the early game. Uh, uh, because when I first played World, I played almost exclusively Insect Glaive. Because I like the speed, I like the verticality, uh, but this time I decided different weapon. I, I narrowed it down uh, from a couple, and I'm playing Longsword, which is by far the most popular choice in Monster Hunter World, and now that I've spent about 12 hours with it, I can see why. It is extremely cool and good. Uh, and also, I wanted to see what my new PC could do. Because when I first bought Monster Hunter World, that was like two graphics cards ago. And so now I've like cranked everything up to max settings, except motion blur, uh, I downloaded the additional 50 gigabytes of the high-resolution texture pack. And, you know, it's still a last-gen game, but it still looks great. And it is kind of wild to consider that what I'm doing with this game now is something that my PC would have struggled with at the time when I bought this game. And now it's taking, like, half my video RAM. Technology, man, it's wild. But yeah, because I I already have Iceborne, I also have access to the Clutch Claw already, uh, even though I haven't started the Iceborne content yet, which does give you a little more verticality for the flying monsters, and so I didn't feel 
the draw towards Insect Glaive as much this time around. But it is just kind of a warm blanket for me. Like, getting to experience everything from the beginning and the low-ish stakes of, oh no, we have to defeat an Anjanath to establish a camp in the ancient forest when by the end of uh, even base game Monster Hunter World, you're picking your teeth with elder dragons that are that can create, like, effluvium clouds that deal damage over time, or you're fighting Teostra, which just causes explosions because it can. And now you're just fighting, in the early game, you're fighting, like, a big fluffy pink T-Rex. It can breathe fire. You know, it's Anjanath is one of the more dangerous ones early on just because it can deal a lot of damage and it's faster than it looks. But yeah, I, I love just making whatever armor I can get my hands on instead of carefully choosing and optimizing skills and decoration slots and, you know, that kind of stuff is fun too. But the simplicity of starting over from the beginning is something I also really enjoy about Monster Hunter. And I I listen to the soundtrack a lot just on my own. I, I use it a lot when I run Dungeons and & Dragons. And getting to hear all the songs in context again has been a lot of fun. And I don't know if it'll still be the case when this game, by the time this episode goes out, but... After the Monster Hunter Wilds uh, announcement, they put World on sale on Steam for the lowest price it's ever been. It's like 10 bucks for the base game, and I think like 16 for base game plus Iceborne. Yeah, I'm having a look here. It's about 14, like 15 bucks for um base game and 30 bucks for with it with Iceborne as well. Yeah, when I say bucks, I mean euros. So the um exchange rate to the australian dollar is not the most kind um but yeah like it's a game that now that i've you know added this new save file to it i've played for coming up on 300 hours and for 16 euros that's a steal but and and it is still being you know supported the servers are still up and you can still do the event stuff and it's just monster hunter is my souls souls game like there are so many different ways to play it it does have a kind of a steep learning curve although as of world that learning curve is a lot lower because the game has actual tutorials now uh in a practice area where you can try all the weapons and the lots of quality of life improvements we talked about this for rise as well but i think monster hunter it's it's a game series that i think a lot more people would enjoy if they gave it like a real honest chance because it does take a little bit bit to get into and if if your main exposure to like character action games as like Devil May Cry and Bayonetta, it's going to be a lot slower than that, but it's faster than like Dark Souls. Yeah, I um, 
I should probably pick up uh, Monsanto World uh, it, because I, it looks to be verified on Steam Deck. And it is, like, as of yeah. like this week. Mm. Um, and I mean, like Monsanto Rise, like that was a game. Like, I, not only did I play, I did the like the single player portion. I beat that on the multiplayer side. Uh, I haven't done the Sunbreak DLC. DLC, I haven't got that. That Sunbreak DLC is so good. Oh, I loved it so much. But no, that's um, that is like as I was talking before about Dark Souls. When I beat that, it was sort of like okay, I finally okay, I've beaten Dark Souls. I can sort of say I, I've beaten Dark Souls, and so I haven't played with that. But Monster Hunter, that was just very enjoyable. I remember um, back in the original Power of X podcast, um, we um, we actually did a actually it was actually for end focus. They actually did a, like a um, sort of like a best of year. And I remember, yeah, I think Monster Hunter was my game of the year. I will say, uh, because I've played so much Rise, there are a couple things in World that I have to get used to again. Uh, notably, the lack of wire bugs. Because in Rise, when you get knocked down, you can just use a wire dash to immediately get back up and get some distance between you and the monster. In World, that just doesn't exist. Uh, you, If you get knocked down, you have to get back up on your own power. Uh, it is a bit of a slower game than Rise is. Uh, but I don't know. The, there is something cool about the, the slightly more methodical pace at which you play World. Uh, you feel more like a hunter and less like a superhero. Like, obviously, there's still some pretty spectacular things you can do. Like, uh, some of the combos you can do with Longsword, like the Helm Splitter, is wild. Uh, Insect Glaive as well. You're doing stuff out of, like, uh, Chinese martial arts movies. Uh, but if you want, like, a super slow and methodical pace, you could play, like, Greatsword. Or Gunlance. Or hammer, you know. the The nice thing about Monster Hunter, especially the more modern Monster Hunters, is every weapon gives you such a drastically different playstyle from the others. So even if you don't like greatsword, like I don't, like I've tried it, I think it's way too slow for me, and I don't like that it's very hard to transition between different moves. Um, you can play switch axe, or you can play sword and shield, and have a completely different gameplay experience that's still monster hunter and I, it is the kind of game you do have to kind of play for a couple of hours to really get into but it is one of the genuinely most rewarding game experiences i think you can have because similarly to souls games sure your numbers are going up when you improve your gear but the most important thing is that you as a player are getting better like you see the time on your hunts going down as you learn a monster's moveset and how best to counter it and where to dodge or block if you're playing a weapon with a shield. And that is, I think, one of the most satisfying things you can do in a video game is the level of mastery, of mechanical mastery you can get with a Monster Hunter game is, honestly, I, I think it can only really be matched by Souls games. And probably fighting games as well. Like, I, I don't know anything about fighting games. I like a round of Smash, but that's about it. But the, like, 
flowchart you create in your brain when you're playing a fighting game for like, okay, I'm playing this character against this character, which means I need to be careful for their downright strong attack, which means if I can see the like first frames of the animation, I have to jump over it, and then I can do this as a counter. Like that, that's super impressive. And if you're that good at fighting games, good for you. Holy crap. That's a skill set that I wouldn't even dream of being able to acquire. But like it's that level of mechanical mastery that makes Monster Hunter one of the most satisfying gaming experiences I think you can have. And going back and playing World from the beginning, especially with the quality of life improvements they added in Iceborne, I... I... would have a hard time putting it down sometimes. It's so fun. And just the... Apologies for a little joke here. The World in Monster Hunter World is so cool and well-developed and... I like that you're part of a research commission. Like you're 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 basically the um there, there's an aspect of, you know, studying the monsters you're hunting as well instead of the standard like oh no our village is under attack, we have to fight back against the Magnamalo that you got in Rise. You know, the more often you fight a monster, the more you, the player, learns about them, but the more the research commission also learns about them. And that's where you get to learn more information about which parts you can break for which uh, crafting materials and stuff. That's There's always a feeling of progression in Monster Hunter World, one that I think was a little lacking in Rise. Like, Rise, I think, has a much more developed and interesting combat system. But I, I feel like World is ultimately more satisfying to play. And that's why I, I would probably rate it higher if I was doing, like, a top 10. And which is why I also wanted to come back to it and sort of refamiliarize myself with the systems in World. If my guess of Wilds being more like World than it is like Rise is correct. Because, to be clear, we have exactly one teaser trailer to go off. They, they have not announced much beyond that. But I'm, I'm sort of putting the pieces together. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But hey, I got to play Monster Hunter World again, and that's never a bad thing in my book. So yes, you should pick it up. It's really cheap right now. And All right. extremely fun it. and cool. <laughs> I'll look into it. Now, I was discussing before, um, we were discussing before that uh, the Metal Gear Delta, um, there's no release date on that, but Solid Snake uh, will be playable in a new game uh, next year, very early next year, and that will be in the latest um, Battle Pass for Fortnite because um, they've just um, done the Chapter 5 Um and one of the skins in the battle pass uh, is Solid Snake. So you'll be able to play as Solid Snake, um, hunting down every, having a dead one um, in the battle royale. Um, this was one of the ones, because the way the battle pass works is that you obviously, you level up, you level up, and each level up that you do, you get a certain amount of stars. And with those stars, you, um, you get certain, you, 
purchase certain items, you know, certain like weapon skins or you know, character skins. Um, Snake, on the other hand, is one of the ones as a bonus for this um, battle pass. Um, they get released as they get released at a later date, and you'll have to do. I imagine if it's like other ones, like say like the previous one I did was the Witcher, um, Gerald. Um, you you had to do like special sort of certain missions. You know, you had to get um, you hunt down like do like defeat ten people with a set with a shotgun or that sort of thing. So, um, so that'll be with Solid Snake. Uh, they're not at the moment yet. Um, but no, I've actually been um, putting some time uh, into this later latest chapter of Fortnite. Um, I've noticed it, it, on Discord. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, because I've probably been playing it on the Xbox. Uh, yeah, it ebbs up and down. It depends on... Honestly, it just depends on the on the actual battle pass. Because uh, I think the previous one I did, um, that had... Uh, yeah. Gerald from The Witcher and the Doom Slayer. Oh, nice. So yeah, so you can do that. Normally, and normally the way they do these is that you have the it's highlight character at the very end of the battle pass. So you get like so like Spider Man is like that's at the end. Um, Darth Vader, that sort of thing. Kelsey uh, from like the, Mistborn. Yes, uh, that sort of one. thing. Yes. <laughs> Um, but this, um, yeah, the last one I did, yeah, yeah, they, um, I think Doom Slayer was like level thirty-five. You had to be at so sort of low, and like Gerald was, uh, like the, the like the bonus one you had to do certain missions for at a later date. Um, but with this battle pass, um, yeah, you got like you got other characters. Uh, let's have a look. So I'm just have a look at the page here. Uh, you got other characters like um. You got a tiger character. Oh, here we go. The cat walk ready. Oscar, Vengeance Jones, Nisha, Monotog, and Valeria. I don't, yeah, don't know who uh, this one's. Nisha, the other from one. Borderlands. No, I think this is um, I think this is their their sort of own their own epics um own unique character. Ah, okay. Ah, uh, yeah. But the other one they got. One. Yeah, no, that's not the yeah. The weirdest one is this um, Peter Griffin from Family Guy. <laughs> now, have you seen a picture of what Peter Griffin looks like in Fortnite? I I think so. I can't remember now that you're asking. Okay, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to post it in here. Hopefully, that should um. I've just I've just sent you a link to a thing. But you know what Peter Griffin looks like. Yes. I I'd imagine. And yeah, um if you have a look at it now, uh, yeah, the um the proportions aren't correct. Oh. Yeah. Peter's a bit buff. Um a bit, they've done yeah. the uh. Yeah, they they've obviously done this because Peter Griffin's a big big bloke. Um, but Fortnite, you sort of have to, every character has to fit within some, um, I imagine sort of hit boxes yeah. and imagine the ori- original, like, because Peter Griffin's so big and round, um, it just really complies. So they just basically just made Peter Griffin buff. Um, and I will be honest, uh, like the actual, <laughs> okay. So the actual character model, I'm not really fussed on, but 
there is a because with the, with these characters you also get um certain emotes so you get one like you can do like the macarena um they release this every so often like a macarena um uh never gonna give you up from rick ashley nice um uh, have you have you played do you play fortnite have nope. you played or not no? not okay. at all i'm not a not all. competitive no, no i at all no, I honestly, I do not play this to be competitive. Um, I actually been playing this just to play the, the actual battle pass, just to leveling up. It's actually, it's it's a, what's it called? The Skinner Box? Um, yeah, the like yeah. drip feed of dopamine of, ooh, I achieved something. <laughs> That's it. Like, I've just been like, every day I've just like, okay, I got, because you <coughs> got daily quests that you can do. So I've been doing those daily quests to get the extra experience points to level up. My battle pass. That's how they get you. Um, that's it. Like, with actually, really, with- actually, that is how they get you. It's it's the the, the uh, live service parts of games that are. Uh, sorry to get a little serious, but like a lot of some people are very very sensitive to that kind of thing, and they can end up spending way more time playing video games than they should or even want to. Because of those Skinner boxy life service things like daily quests, daily awards, daily logins are are the ones that really just curdle my yogurt. Like I was playing Warhammer Vermintide two when that game had daily logins. Like what the hell? Sorry. No, no, you're you're completely right, and um, I, I try to be good. Like it's not as if you know I'm just constantly, constantly grinding. Like it's sort of like. Okay, I've logged into the day. I've got a couple of day quests. I just get those out of the way, then I'm done. Um, but yeah, but actually, yeah, with this battle pass, it wasn't actually a Peter Griffin model that I was most excited for. It was later on where there's this actual um, I don't know if you know when the family had the surfing bird dance that Peter does. Are you aware that, of that? That one I don't know. Okay, I'll have to show. I'll have to show you that. But that's one that's later on, and that's um. It's the most annoying thing, but it's the most silly. It's the most silly thing, but it, it sort of fits within the whole vibe of um of Fortnite. Yeah, it just it just ends up being silly. Uh, but that's just the battle pass. The actual game itself, like they've actually they always expand on this. You know, putting in um new new things. So this one, they sort of um this one you sort of, the, the way obviously with the way Fortnite works is a battle royale. You um, hundred players go in go in, land down on an island, everyone tries to take each other out, last man surviving, depending on if you're playing by yourself or with a group. If it's with a group, it's the last group surviving. They also do, um, they also try to change it up. Uh, this year, this time for this one, they've got um, they've got a train they constantly go through so you can actually get on the train, um, get certain like power up items um, and try and take down opponents, which is pretty cool. They've also got certain um, game pipes. So you have you have you sort of battle royale. You also have creative mode. Um, they've actually got two other modes this time. They've got a um, what's it called? Let me have a check here. They've got it's effectively um, Guitar Hero. Oh, uh, yeah. So basically, you go around. You sort of like um, you can actually go in and um, play in a band. So you could be like, you know, standard guitar, bass guitar, vocals or drums. Especially like, you know, you can you're doing like the whole guitar hero doing the notes with the certain button prompts. Um that's pretty fun. The actual one I've been actually getting into is um the rocket racing. Cause um 
this is based this is sort of based off um rocket league but it's actually like uh, you're actually doing like a proper race yeah it's uh it's a developed by the rocket league team as well yes mm. it in and fortnite's continuing quest to become to encompass every video game genre yes Oh my goodness. But this one is actually pretty fun. I've actually spent a bit of time on this because it's got its own daily quest as well. But it's actually pretty fun. You're actually driving around and sort of <coughs> use you drift to actually um, boost up your drift meter, which allows you to turbo. So you can go faster and then you can actually uh, you can actually jump and you can jump on the walls, you can actually jump on the ceiling when it needs to. Oh, that's cool. Um Yeah. So it's actually it's actually it would actually be really fun a game by itself. And I mean, it's like, yeah, it should probably be fun game by itself, but it's sort of like Fortnite is itself a free-to-play game. Like, yes, you do have the battle pass, but the actual game itself, <coughs> Fortnite, is actually free-to-play. You don't need to actually spend any money on that. So you can actually go ahead and play this Rocket League um, racing by itself. You don't actually need the battle pass. Uh but no, yeah, that's sort I, of. I, I don't mean so, to like yuck, yuck people's yum on this because I know you enjoy it. I, I've talked to Rosalie about it. Rosalie enjoys it as well. I, I, I think Fortnite is a pretty despicable game in the way that it <laughs> preys on especially children with the like the um, the storefront that really plays into FOMO and all that stuff. It's I I do genuinely believe that video games can be a force for good. I believe video games are art. I, I don't think there is much of a debate to be had there, to be honest. But I think Fortnite is sort of the ultimate example of corporate art made exclusively to make money and i i don't mean to disparage the work of the people who work on fortnite because boy do we know they work very hard they work way too too hard there have been allegations i think jason schreier covered them because he's usually the person who does of the working conditions at epic specifically at fortnite are horrendous allegedly uh but Fortnite, I'm glad that people, you know, I I don't want to say that people shouldn't enjoy it, but I just hate its position in the video game space as a thing that is amassing more and more IPs from other places. Like, I mean, it, it is kind of funny to say like, oh yeah, you get to play as John Cena hunting the Predator and spider-man and three different ariana grandes uh but like i love video games primarily for their not only their entertainment value but also their artistic value and fortnite's profit or else model and position in the industry just it skeeves me out man it's just, I just think it's just going to, one of those things, it's just going to eventually, the, the interest is just going to weigh down and then 
it'll just go in the ether. I mean, here's the thing, right? The 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 thing they've got with the different seasons and introducing new game modes with the seasons is that is the way they're keeping interest in Fortnite alive is a uh they've got the Skinner box techniques b they've got the sunk cost fallacy going for them you know i've bought so many v bucks to buy all these different emotes and skins and stuff i don't really want to give that up so i don't want to stop playing and c the drip feed of new content every like what is it six weeks that a new season comes out or eight weeks i think yeah it leaves you about yeah probably say about like either eight, eight or ten weeks yep like it, that keeps people invested in the game and uh, it's it's occupying so much space in people's attention that is also preventing them from playing other interesting and good games and that that part is a very me thing like play Fortnite if you want i like i'm not going to stop you i'm not a cop like but i just I hate what Fortnite represents. Sorry to be such a downer here, but like I Fort, Fortnite is constantly in the news because you you know, you follow the games press and they do need the the engagement of like reporting on Fortnite and and I don't begrudge them for that because it is a thing that does get a lot of clicks and a lot of interest because it is so popular. But every couple of weeks, there's a new story about Fortnite, whether it's just a content update or, oh, someone's having another concert in Fortnite, you know? And didn't Eminem have one recently? Yep, Eminem's in there. And it's just... Because I'm so constantly exposed to it, I do end up thinking about it quite a lot. And... My feelings on it generally are quite negative. <laughs> and I mean, Monster Hunter World does have some amount of Skinner Box stuff as well. Like, it does have uh, weekly quests for um, bonus armor spheres. And there's also during seasonal, there's seasonal events that have like special materials to make armor uh, that you can only make with those materials. So like games I like are not immune to that either. It's just a frustrating side effect of playing video games in the 2020s is that everyone is trying to monopolize your time so you don't spend money on the competition. Freaking Assassin's Creed like odyssey had daily quests and time restricted quests for bonus rewards like it's a single player game it doesn't make any sense to me to do that but that's the way you get people spending more time playing your game gathering more data about them spending money on microtransactions maybe it makes sense from a business perspective but i just hate that that is a thing that exists oh yeah Fortnite. sorry 
No, so no, it's under, no, it's look completely understandable, completely justified. I feel, I feel. It's um, it's it, it is honestly uh, it is fun. To, it is like fun to play by itself. Uh, but I do I do get the uh, the FOMO, the um, the Skinner box, the um, the dis- discussing um, prey on, preying on people. I mean, like, I I should know as well. I'm a Magic the Gathering fan. And if you've been paying at all attention to what's been going on to Magic the Gathering in the past two years, good God, like, Magic, like, Wizards of the Coast is pretty much the only part of Hasbro that makes money, like, that is actually profitable. And so Hasbro has wanted Wizards of the Coast to make even more money for them because that's how capitalism works because they need to make more money every year. And so they're doing stuff like they introduced a thing called Secret Layer a couple of years ago where it's print to order. Like like they you pre-order them and they print exactly as many as get pre-ordered. And there's like new art treatments, occasionally entirely new cards. But once the pre-order window is uh, gone, you're never going to be able to buy them again. Like you can't get those cards in normal packs. And... The FOMO of that, I've never bought a secret layer, partially just because A, they're expensive, and B, the shipping from America is like almost as much as the secret layer themselves. But they've been monetizing the hell out of Magic the Gathering, and it's been very frustrating because it's been bad for the actual game. Like, they, they've made it very appealing to collectors, but a lot less appealing to actually people who want to play the game. And it's been very frustrating that something I love that much is being turned into a capitalist content slurry with, like, secret layers from other IPs. Like, they did a Tomb Raider one recently. They did an entire uh, Lord of the Rings, like, draftable booster set. They've done Transformers cards. They've done Jurassic Park cards. They did... Doctor Who Commander decks. They did Warhammer 40,000 Commander decks. It's business getting in the way of art is something I I hate because I, you know, I, 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 I'm an English major. I like literature. I like art. And I hate that art has to be profitable. That you have to water down your art to be able to make enough money off of it to be allowed to keep making it. That's so frustrating to me. <sighs> I I love doing this. I do. Yeah. I love doing podcasting. It's like that there is an amount of you know science to it in in regards to the editing and you do have to deal with all the fun like search engine optimization that comes with running a website and yeah patreon (laughs) and and, and all that stuff and that that is the less fun part of this but i I do genuinely love recording these i love talking to you i love talking to rosalie and i I do want to i'm saying this because i want to end this thing on sort of a positive note yes no this this is a really fun way to express myself and to have interesting conversations with people who have different experiences for me. Mm. But that's it. That's it. We can talk about, we can talk about these things. You know, we can talk about how 
Fortnite is predatory. You know how um artists can modify. You know and um you know how it's um it, you know it's it sucks that our art has to be profitable. We just we just want everything. We just want we just want it to be free. We just want. I I want artists to feel like they have the freedom to create the art that they want to make. And and as soon as especially like executive meddling comes into that like a f- a pretty famous example is like uh Mirror's Edge 2 and no Mirror's Edge 1 that was the one that that got absolutely ranched by EA because they you know that it, it was a really cool like parkour first person free running game and then they were like hmm this game needs some combat put combat in there developers and it was the worst part of the game because the game wasn't supposed to have combat originally. <laughs> you know, that's that's the kind of thing that like, oh, yeah, it, it's not marketable enough without combat. Hmm. And so in order to try and make it more profitable, they made it worse. Or uh, remember Overstrike? Overstrike, that sounds familiar. Uh, it's a game that as Overstrike never came out, like it was announced that I think in E3 or something, and it was this oh, like okay. cool, colorful cooperative shooter. The trailer was set to Tick Tick Boom by the Hives, and yeah. that we didn't hear about it for a while, and then it got released as grim and serious fuse. Oh, okay. Uh, raise your hand if you're surprised that EA meddled with this as well. Uh, yeah, yeah like, never. I wanted to play Overstrike. I didn't want to play Fuse, but because it was the style, it was to use a Simpsons quote. It was the style at the time to have like a the, the shooters be grim and serious because that was when you had games like Gears of War and Call of Duty, like that era of Call of Duty Modern Warfare stuff. They wanted to make it more serious and grim and gray and. Uh, I I didn't want to play it. I did not want to play it. Or Dead Space 3. They put crafting microtransactions in Dead Space 3. Why? why? I I don't even like Dead Space. I'm not a big fan of horror games and I was mad. You know? God. Make the art you want to make. That is my message to you going into 2024 make the art that you want to make and tell people we said this on infocus as well if someone made something that you really really love or even just like hey i kind of like this tell them tell them directly like at them on twitter to be like hey sam reich the latest episode of make some noise on dropout was really really funny I really enjoyed all the prompts on it, you know? Just tell people that the things they make mean something to you because that is, as someone who, on a much, much, much smaller scale, like, you know, I, I have a blog. I don't write much on it anymore, but when I did, one of the things that meant the most to me was uh, it didn't really matter to me how many views it got. What mattered to me was when someone would tell me, hey, I really like this. You know, that's that is my my message to you going into 2024. Make the art you want to make and tell people that make the things you love 
that you really like that. And on that note, uh, we will all see you in um, 2024. Thank you, Helka, for joining me on this podcast. Thank you for having me. It was uh, great to be here. Okay. It was, it was certainly. And uh, yes, we will all see you in 2024. That we will. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Podular Unfocused Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our other show and focus. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and our Game Podular for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon. The links for both are on our website. Thanks. This episode was edited by me, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheScottyJman. You can also follow Hilka on Twitter at Gear12 underscore Turbo. Thanks for listening. silence through the night what a thrill I'm searching and I'll melt into you what a fear in my heart but you're so supreme I give my Survive for the day.